My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. How can you begin to heal and move forward in your life when you've endured sexual trauma? How do trauma and eating disorders overlap? And what should you do if you learn your partner was abused as a child? Can you be supportive and co-create a sex life of your wildest dreams? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am so thrilled today for a few reasons. One, you're listening, so thank you very much. (laughs) Two, I have an incredible expert here in the studio with me today, someone I have been fangirling for some time to explore these important topics. I will introduce her here shortly. First, this episode is brought to you in part by Yarlap, a Kegel trainer that does pelvic floor exercises for you. What? Later in the episode, you'll hear from Yarlap co-founder Mary Ellen Reeder. If you're wondering what Kegels actually are and how they can affect everything from orgasms to bladder control throughout all of adulthood, keep listening. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for occasional Girl Boner updates at augustmclaughlin.com. About once a month, I send a personal note. You can get info about live events in your area, special discounts, giveaways, behind-the-scenes fun, and more. You can also now pre-order Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target.com, and more. One of the over 40 experts I interviewed for the book is sitting right here with me now. Jiminika Eborn has worked in mental health for the last 10 years, where she saw a need for sex education and sexual trauma support. This led her to her passion for assisting and supporting sexual assault survivors and those without access to comprehensive sex ed. She's a sex educator for grades K through 12, the director of education for the survivor and ally support organization More Than No, and a consultant for TV and film with an aim of bringing a healthy perspective on sex and surviving trauma into viewers' homes. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Good. I am doing well. It's always so interesting to hear my bio. I'm like, oh, I sound so fun. <laughs> you are. You are so fun. You do such amazing work. And you were one of the first experts that came to mind for my book because I've been following your advocacy online. And I know that you really want to create these safe spaces for people who should have them before anybody else and yet struggle to have them. Yeah. Could you share a bit about where that first seed was planted did you have an epiphany moment when you thought this is the work I need to do I don't know if it was um so I grew up with my law and order SVU and I was like this is it this is what I want to do and then I went to school for um, criminal justice and I think my kick was when I got kicked out of school (laughs) Really? Yeah, well, you're supposed to go to class. Um, And I did not. So from there, like, it's very interesting. I started doing community college, like, still staying in school. And then I became a rape crisis counselor. Um, And so I did lots of training 
And then I became the person that was in the hospital sitting next to the person as they were retelling their stories and getting SART kits, getting the samples from whatever type of wounds that they may have and get tested and everything. And it was the most humbling thing that I had ever done um, to have someone trust you after they literally just came from the scene from a, from the cop car into the hospital, I just felt, people think it's weird, but I'm like, I just felt at home. Mm. Like it felt like it just made sense. Um, And so that was like my aha moment. And I was like, well, clearly I got to go back to school and go to psychology. And everyone was like, oh yeah, we knew that. And I was like, you could have saved me some time and money. (laughs) (laughs) But are you a really independent spirit? Because I feel like... (laughs) I remember when I realized I was a writer. Oh, my goodness. Her shirt says free spirit. So I take that as a wild yes, yes, a beautiful yes. When I told my mom that I was a writer, I had this huge epiphany. She's like, yeah, I knew. And I think, and I was like, hello. But I had to grow my way to it. Oh, and yeah. also, if things are not my decision, she knows that it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did a lot of trial and error, error in, like, what I wanted to do. I've, like... One day I was like, I want to own a clothing store. My dad's like, what? Do you have a business plan? I was like, here it is. And he was like, well, uh, well, let me know if you need anything. So I had like a clothing store for two years. Like, I'm very much like, this is what I want to do. And I feel like it's going to help me grow as a person. Um, So in the 10 years of mental health, like I've worked with juvenile sex offenders, which also was like a mind blowing experience. And then just mental health, just different ages and genders and identities. And it's just amazing. Currently, I work in Malibu like a few days a week at a residential facility for trauma survivors. And that is very like in depth. Like for me, it's it's a very chill space because I'm just there for support. Um, But to be able to again, to be trusted as they're unpacking years and years of trauma, it's just like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm. It sounds like it's a, a calling in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Sexual trauma, I feel like people have a general idea of what it probably is. A lot of times, though, I think we have this idea that it's it's always rape, for example, or it's mm-hmm. it's rape in an alley, or it's, you know, some of the things that we see. And I, I found a definition that said an umbrella term to describe any sexual act that is imposed on another person without their consent. Yeah. Is that how you see it? Yeah, definitely. And it is interesting. Again, that's why I want to do like more consulting for media to be like, so sexual assault looks like these things. So I I find that sometimes it comes into play with victim blaming because people are like, well, this thing didn't happen to you. So are you sure? And you're like, no, this is what, you know, I didn't consent to this. And they're like, well, it wasn't. And you're like, this is not working. Um, So I definitely feel like it's definitely a broad umbrella term where there's so many other things underneath it. And it's the person who went through the trauma who determines that it's trauma, right? Because I've also heard people say, I can't believe that happened to you. You were sexually assaulted. And the person will say, I didn't feel assaulted. Mm -hmm. So I guess it comes down to your own experience and and how it felt to you? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's how you want to identify and not how people put things upon you because that can actually be more damaging instead of being like, because it's like forcing someone to believe a thing about themselves and they're like, I didn't think that and that can cause, and I've seen like fast spirals, downhill spirals for sure. Mm. 
I love that you speak out about eating disorders and trauma and how they intersect because there's quite a big correlation. I know especially for people in the transgender community, eating disorders and sexual trauma both are very rampant. And you were quoted in a Cosmo article talking about some personal experience. (laughs) You're like, oh, that sounds fancy too. (laughs) It was a great article. I really liked it. I read it again this morning. I feel like that's a really important conversation to to have and it's two very again taboo subjects yeah yeah so in general what do you feel like people need to know about that connection between disordered eating eating disorders and sexual trauma yeah I think what people forget is sometimes when your body has such extreme trauma done to it you don't know how it's going to react and you don't know how that person's going to react or how they're going to cope and try to take control of the situation again. So sometimes within trauma, people will overeat to be like, well, if I'm bigger, no one will want to touch me. Or if you lose weight, I'm in control. And like, or if I'm skinny, no one will want to touch me. Mm. So there's different reasons why people do it. Um, but it's definitely can also lead to different mental illnesses that can grow within us. Like, I think people forget that. That's kind of why I went back to school and I'm working on health psychology right now to kind of see how, like, the things that happen to our body and how they evolve to be illnesses. And I think that can be definitely a faction of trauma because you're only trying to cope and figure it out. Mm. And a lot of times that happens before you're able to get assistance. Um, And you're just like, well, I'm just trying to make it. And this is how I feel like I'm taking control of my life again. I remember when I was in treatment for an eating disorder and I I was diagnosed with anorexia initially. And through my recovery process, I developed binge eating behaviors, which is really common, Mm -hmm. but very seldom talked about because there's so much shame around binge eating, even though it's the most common disordered eating um, kind of trait. But I remember a therapist saying to me, you were coping. Binging has been a way for you to cope. Mm -hmm. Wanting to cope is a good thing. Now we just need to try to help you find a coping mechanism that's going to help you thrive. Yeah. And it made me feel better about the binging because I thought I had so much shame around. I can't believe I'm doing this to myself. I am so out of control. There's something wrong with me. And in fact, I thought, oh, wow. I'm actually trying to take care of myself. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Yeah. You're just trying to regain your footing. But like, again, not being able to have those conversations with someone that's trained and knows the things. You're just like, I'm just trying to make it here. And this is the only way that makes sense right now. Yeah. And it it does provide something at first. Yeah. Like all addictions, too, where you feel better at first. Like I know at the beginning of a binge, it feels good. You know, it feels like a need. Or when you're restricting, it can feel good you feel in control like I've compared restrictive eating and and anorexia to having a really toxic relationship with a significant other Mm. where at first you're totally infatuated Mm -hmm. and it feels like you're falling in love and everything's glowy and I can't believe I'm doing this and then very quickly they're stalking you and controlling your every move and you forget who you are at least that was my experience how do you feel that these sort of dynamics play out for people is it is it different in every case yeah I would say it's definitely different in every case I think when I was struggling with my eating disorder I didn't know 
Like I was just like, oh no, it's fine. I'm just I'm not gonna eat. And then when you hear those comments, well, you look great. And then you're like, oh, well, this is working. Mm. People are giving me like positive attention. Um, and I think it definitely can. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. But <laughs> I think it can definitely come up within us in so many different ways. I think after my trauma, I became well. First of all, I I drank every day. Like I carried a bar in my trunk with cups. Oh. Yeah. And then I was the person at the party that was dancing on the tables, but would quickly s- switch. And now I'm punching people and choking them. I'm not that person anymore. Thank goodness. That's part of my story because I didn't realize how much hurting was in me. So again, you don't realize how much is is within you until you start to process it. Yeah. And having that escape. Where you were like, oh, because you could find that fun. Mm-hmm. You could find Real that quick, thing easily. instantly without yeah. having to do all this internal work and having to go to somebody and face all your fears and deal with all of these different layers. Mm-hmm. It's so complicated. Yeah. yeah. It's complicated and it's so easy. Yeah. Which yeah. is the wild part. Yeah. It's so easy to get in and then, then you're in there. pretty darn challenging to get out. <sighs> yeah. 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 What was a turning point for you with the disordered eating aspect of your healing um I was able I think I switched to alcohol yeah so it was a substitution which seemed easier because the the eating disorder part was before I went to college so I was still in like high school and I didn't drink then so then when I got to college it was like a switch of the alcohol and being fun and people predominantly men like noticing me more so that was like a focus um and I was a mess Ugh, it was, I, I'm so thankful to this day and like I tell my best friends who I've had since like seventh and tenth grade I'm like I don't know why you stayed I'm just very appreciative and they're like well you were just being kind of shitty we're we were just waiting for you to stop oh. and I'm like oh thank god <laughs> like, that's so funny because I went through something very similar where there were two friends in particular when I w- I felt like such a mess and I thought I was horrible to them I still rationally think I was pretty horrible to mm-hmm. them. And years later, thanks to Facebook, we reconnect. I send an apology. They're like, it's fine. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was totally, totally stunned because I remember being a monster. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a lesson for people to know if they have gone through a lot and they carry that guilt. Don't assume that somebody is not going to be open to you. Yeah. because we're And then ultimately, we're always harder on ourselves than anyone else. And I'm sure, like, at least I would hope that these people know you well enough to know that you were just hurting and you were struggling through something, even if you weren't able to share it. Mm. Really good point. Really good point. And so many other people are going through their own battles secretly, too. Oh, for sure. So you never really know. Yeah. You never know. So I have a really interesting question from a listener. Cool. That I would love to hear your thoughts on. And we are going to share it with our resident sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming as well from greatlifegreatsex.com. This question came from Ivory who wrote this. I'm dating a guy who is literally the best dude I've ever met. He's kind and funny and hot as hell and we have amazing chemistry. A few dates in, I wanted to have sex and he seemed really into it, or he seemed not into it, so we didn't. I was worried at first that he wasn't as attracted to me as I thought. Then he told me that he was molested, not just once, but many times as a child. It was devastating to hear he went through that, but I'm glad he knew he could trust me. He said he still struggles and with some things are really hard, so we're taking things slow. I have to admit that I'm nervous, though. I don't want to screw things up, but my nerves seem 
really out of whack and unimportant considering what he has gone through. Has anyone ever asked you about this? I would appreciate any suggestions. Peace and thanks, Ivory. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com had to say. Ivory, thanks so much for this question. And I, you know, I'm sort of, my heart is full sort of thinking about your experience and in some ways how amazing and exciting it is. Because obviously, and I say this often, it's not every day, right? We find somebody who we have that kind of amazing chemistry and it's not just the physicality. It's also who he is as a person, you know, kind and funny and um, sort of the whole package. And so... I can imagine you were sort of surprised and at first even trying to understand, right, that initially how, why he wasn't so interested in sex or the physicality. Um, and yet what I think is also awesome and, and says a lot about who he is and where he's in his own journey is that he could share with you um, this very personal traumatic history. Um, you know, in some ways you guys are just getting to know one another and he felt the safety and the comfort to really let you know, right? Which is, I I really care about you, but just so you don't take this personal, you have to understand in a sense what's impacting me and where I'm coming from. And so what I would say here is, you know, it's a combination of, as you're sort of saying, taking it slow and having an eye on where you both want to go and how you want your relationship to look and feel. And in a sense, taking action around that. And so a resource I would definitely recommend is The Sexual Healing Journey. Uh, it's a book and it's called the, A Guide for S- Surviving of Sexual Abuse. And it's in its third edition by Wendy Maltz. Again, third edition. This book has been around and has helped thousands of individuals and couples. And so I'd almost say like, think of it like a book club, you know, see if you want to be willing to look at it and read it together and maybe sort of review a chapter at a chapter uh, at a time, sort of what you both thought and felt what came up for you. Um, Recognizing when if I don't know if he's been in therapy before, but certainly I would say seeing a qualified therapists who both uh, specializes in sexuality as well as uh, histories of trauma would be an amazing, I mean, I'm really just trying to give you resources here um, because I think so much is possible and I absolutely believe in transformational change. And that being said, I also sort of want to say that when, if, cause you know, as women, we're so much caretakers and we really want to help and, you know, fix and all these things. And so listen, if you're both on the same page and you're on this journey and you're seeing and feeling the progress and the healing, fantastic. But when, if you're doing the work and he's not doing the work or you're just doing it or over time and only, you know, what works and doesn't work for you, it's not shifting or changing that you need to be receptive to being curious and being like, you know, big picture, long term, is this the one for me? And or have we both learned an incredible amount together, come this far, have um, these many takeaways, and and this may be the end of our road for our relationship. So I, I think I want you to be excited about the possibility, what is possible, and at the same time, recognize that, you know, when a big picture, long term, things aren't shifting or changing, you have to honor your own thoughts and feelings and what you want for your life and your relationship. So it's a bit of a both end. Um, I'm really excited that you guys are starting on this journey together. I think there's so much potential healing in safety and trust. Um, and so as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she had to say. And those resources that she recommended are really important. Taking things slowly and then also remembering that it's caring for both of you, that it's not just you want to take care of your partner, you want to take care of your own needs. 
Jiminika, what would you add? I think it's it's definitely important, and I think she made a great point, and I'm I'm so glad that she said like this isn't about me. Um, and I think it's definitely a lot of patience and a lot of checking in, and people find that checking in, which I really want to like fight against, checking in can be really sexy, because you're able to ask for your needs to be met, which again these are not things that are allowed or allotted when you're sexually assaulted. So giving that them that power, you're actually supporting them with with an, within a way that they may not even realize it by checking in like, hey, does this feel good? Allow them to respond. I think that's one of my favorite things. And also like I get my needs met, so it's not like crazy. But I, I just want you to continue, you know, checking with your partner and trying things, asking them like, well, what do you like? How can I support you? Um, if you want to try something new, talk through it. Go to a demo or something to see how it's done. I think there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But I think you're doing a great thing by, you know, realizing it's not about you, but still being very mindful of your actions. I think that's important. I think so, too. And it sounds like she's feeling like her own feelings don't matter because her partner went through all of this. And and I really respect that she's seeing that 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 person who's gone through that has mm-hmm. a much heavier burden to bear. Yeah, but check take on take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's important too. Do you work with people who are partners, friends, lovers to people who've gone through sexual assault as well? Not as much right now, um but I want to. I'm actually writing an ally class right now. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. It's like So my then baby. what's something that you could share for people who do want to support someone in general? What are the check-ins sound really important. Yeah, the check-ins are one of my favorite things to tell people. And also slow down. Um, and when you check in with them, and I tell this to anyone, actually listen to them. And then ask them, like, hey, is there anything else? Like, don't just lead in with a list of, like, here's all my helping and coping skills. Like, that can be extremely overwhelming and take them out of the mood and the situation. So definitely being available and letting them know that no matter what, you're still there and you're there to support them. I love that you said really listen, because I think it's so easy to be thinking of how you're going to Mm -hmm. respond to somebody or in any conversation, especially something around intimate topic. But when you're actually wanting to help them, Mm -hmm. instead of thinking about, am I saying the right thing? Listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How can we become better listeners? Practice. You can actually practice listening. (laughs) Um, Sometimes, like, I have done, like, practice things with, like, kids. But it's more so focused around, like, consent. So, like, having someone ask you a thing and having someone ask you a question, no matter what, if you want to say yes, you're saying no, but you're listening to see what they're actually saying. Could we do one of those right now? Yes. Could you guide me? Show me yeah. how this works? So so what I would tell the kids is like, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And no matter what you want to do, if you want to do it or not, that's not the point. So the point is for you to practice receiving a, receiving a no when you do it back to me and providing a no. So I will ask you like, hey, August, do you want to go to lunch after this? Actually, I do. I'm feeling really hungry. Okay. So you should have said no. <laughs> Oh, let me let me try that one again. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it even harder, I just ate something. So I, I'm really not up for lunch right now. So it's like practicing, how did that feel for you to deny me? It's not my default. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. 
Yeah. I didn't even consider saying no, even though I, I can't go to lunch after this. Uh-huh. Like if I actually thought about uh-huh. it, I have another interview. Mm-hmm. So I my go-to is yes. Yeah. Which is probably goes into other aspects of my life. Right. So it's like practicing that you're able to take that to the bedroom and like let someone be like, oh, no. And it also allows them to feel comfortable saying no so they can take care of themselves. Ah, and then do you reflect it back? Is yeah. That, so then, so I say no, no, I I really don't feel like going to lunch today. Mm-hmm. So then ask me a question. Would you like to go to the movies on Saturday? Thank you for asking, but I'm not available. Oh, okay. Well, I am grateful to know that. Thank you for respecting your needs. I will see you another time. Yeah. So then within that, you have to sit with like how it feels to hear a no. Yeah, which is funny because I'm not as used to hearing no either. So It's a fun game. Yeah. The kids are always like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I like to do it with adults too because, you know, we weren't taught that when we were younger. Like we're not taught how to receive a no, how to give a no, and then practice ways to do the thing that feel comfortable for us, which utilizing that and just play, you can utilize that in work, in your bedroom, with your family. Because some of us, you know, our families have... <laughs> interesting boundaries true so I think that can be definitely helpful to utilize within like survivors because a lot of people are never taught how to be able to within withhold their boundaries what about saying no to something that wasn't asked so someone approaches you in public and they just hug you they didn't ask if they could first but they're just doing something Mm -hmm. what is something to practice or to be at a place where you can uphold a boundary once it's already been Mm -hmm. crossed. Hopefully you are able to separate yourself and push them away. And then for me, I would hope, and I've had this happen, like, hey, like, I didn't ask for a hug. Like, next time, can you please ask? Um, Because sometimes, again, we're not taught because society teaches us like a way you meet someone is a hug or like a kiss on the cheek or go hug grandma. But it's like, do people really want to do that? So like it will force them to probably start to like rethink their whole life. And it may it may get interesting for them, but it's a great conversation to have. Be like separate and be like, hey, thank you for that. But like, I'm not really in the space to like hug people right now. I like that a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I really like that. And I think. If we are feeling uncomfortable, we could probably even say that. If you have never said that to a person before and it feels awkward, I could see myself feeling more comfortable saying, I feel really weird saying this, but I'm trying to stand up for my own boundaries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're a cool person. I love talking to you, but I'm not really generally into hugs out of the blue. And I'm really trying to tell people that. Would you feel weird if we didn't hug next time? Yeah. You know? Acknowledging the weird or the odd thing. Sometimes, like, I'm like, I'm like, people think I'm cooler than I am. I'm actually very awkward and clumsy. And then people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, it also kind of takes some of the pressure off of you. Yeah. To just acknowledge the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you getting tons of questions about dating in Me Too era? Hell, I have my own questions for dating in Me Too era. <laughs> Um, yeah. 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 It's very interesting because I get it. I like sitting down with other people. It allows me to check out of my own head. But dating for me in general, I think uh, as a queer black woman, I was just like, oh, no, I'm going to just stay at home. But yes, it is harder to date, I think, because we're more hyper aware. 
Um, and then you see news stories and you're like, oh, well, maybe I'm doing the right thing, which it's it's tricky, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I would say that if you are able to tap into like your inner voice, which we all have, just to note, mm-hmm. listen to it. If you're in a situation, you're like, mm, something feels off. Go with that. Like, yeah. don't discount it. Go with that because you may save yourself. And you don't need to know the reason. Nope. There have been so many times when I've looked back and seen these red flags that I talked myself out of or ignored because I wanted to have a reason. I wanted to be able to say, oh, they're so obviously this or this is this is happening, this bad thing. And the kind of, quote, good girl in me is going, oh, be nice. Mm -hmm. Just be be polite. Don't Mm -hmm. hurt the person's feelings when you can get out of situations without being, quote, rude. You can be rude if you want to. You can respond in any way but even I took this self-defense class where we did a lot of role-playing exercises and it was interesting to me that it doesn't very often occur to me to lie to get out of a situation Hmm. I had to give myself permission to do that yeah if someone comes up to you and they are crossing all your boundaries and you need to say that you know your big security guard is coming up right now I mean, I don't know if that's a good one because if they're not actually there, that's that's <laughs> not so helpful. But but being able to say things like, I have an infectious disease. You could get it right now. Just like stop touching me. Whatever you need to say. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take care of yourself. If it helps you get out of an unsafe situation, definitely. I do, you know, I feel like the Me Too era has definitely opened up a lot more conversations and also is providing safer spaces. Like I have been to different restaurants and bars now where there's like signs that are like, we will support you, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I know I've seen different articles where there are certain keywords at specific places. Or you can be like, so how's Tanya? And they'll be like, they'll just like head nod and know you are in a bad situation and they will help you get out of Uh. that. That gave me chills. That's so beautiful yeah. when you see that kind of support. I read about this. I forgot what her title is. It's a consult, a consent, consultant, I think, hmm. in Canada. It's their first person who has this role in a bar club mm-hmm. where if somebody is feeling like consent is not being respected or they're feeling uncomfortable or things are getting weird, there's a person to go to. And I imagine just having the person there puts a stop on a lot of things before it even happens. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, we need that. Cool, right? We need that everywhere. We do. I mean, really, why don't we? That's a really good thing. What's a question that you have found yourself asking about all of this? Um, hmm. Why did this take so long? <laughs> That's been my biggest question. And why do people act like sexual assault and sexual trauma is new? Which I'm very confused about. Like, why is everyone like, oh, all of these conversations? I'm like, no, yay, all of these conversations have been elevated. Yes. Because we didn't all just start getting sexually assaulted yesterday. Like, it's been happening forever. Yeah. Yeah, It's so true. And I remember when the Me Too was becoming much more public, and I was hearing from people comments about, it's so great that people are actually talking about consent. And I thought, in the sex educator, sex positive space, it's been an it's ongoing conversation. <laughs> it's constant, right? I remember going to thriller conferences when I was writing a thriller and promoting that. And that compared to a sex ed conference where people 
outside of those circles might assume, oh, it's a big sex party and nobody respects boundaries. Actually, you walk in and you put a badge on that says, I like <laughs> hugs. I don't like hugs. <laughs> I want a handshake. You know, just all these beautiful, there's spaces for everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's so wonderful to see these conversations go mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad because there's a lot of people, again, that never received the education. Um and for people to be like, I'm this, I feel this way. And then you start to be like, oh, I didn't know. Like I wrote an article last year and it was titled like why I'm scared to date cis men. And people were like, well, how dare you, blah, blah, blah. And then they read it and they were like, oh, especially men. They were like, well, uh, I'm so sorry. Mm. I didn't know it was this bad. And I'm like, yeah, like just walking down the street for us can be scary. Yeah. I was interviewed by a show recently and they have a predominantly guy, straight guy audience. And they were saying that they've heard from a lot of the listeners that they are feeling like they can't date, like they can't approach women and all this stuff. And that now they have to be like nervous. And I just thought and said something about, well, women especially and and queer people too for the longest time have felt a lot of fear going around so maybe that gives you a, just a hint at what it feels like to be afraid to walk down the street at night or to to feel like you can't just go sit at a bar because you're going to be either harassed or worse or to fear for your life yeah i kind of roll my eyes at that because you don't have to do terrible things mm-hmm. If you don't do terrible things, you're fine. You're fine. If you're kind, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. If you're walking up to people and calling them out of their names and touching their bodies, then yes, you should be concerned. Yeah. But you should also check in with yourself about why you're doing these activities and thinking that they're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Amen. And also, I think some of that came from they think that if they go out and they are being good people, that somehow somebody's going to freak out and... That actually says that you think that women are lying. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's, that's a fear mm-hmm. of someone calling you out for something you didn't do. That's just really not happening. Yeah. That's like 0.12% of the bazillions. I always also, I like to note for people like intentions is like one of my favorite words of 2018. What are your intentions when you're approaching this person? Mm. And I think once you figure out your intentions, your deliverance will be different. Or even like when people are like, I'm an ally, but I really feel like women shouldn't wear short skirts. Hmm. So what are your intentions in saying that? Like, where, where, how do you really feel? You need to recheck in with yourself. I love that. That is so powerful. Checking with your, your intentions and then really considering are those intentions, first of all, is it something that you're trying to get from somebody? Mm-hmm. You know, is it this exchange of power? Is it a currency? Or are you trying to, if you're out there trying to get to know people genuinely, it's probably going to be all right. Yeah. If you're treating somebody the way, if you're a straight cis guy and you're treating a woman as respectfully as you would your bro friends, <laughs> you know? Maybe a little better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a little maybe better. A little better. <laughs> Fewer fart jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then you're going to be all right. For sure. For yeah. sure. It's it's all about your intentions. And it really, 
it just makes me feel away when they're like, well, I just am scared of everything. I'm scared to say the wrong thing. You may say the wrong thing. Again, what are your intentions? You're allowed to mess up. So we're not saying you can't mess up. We're saying don't continue to mess up once you have acknowledged that first one. Yes. And acknowledging it is so important. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging, apologizing, you know, Mm -hmm. taking ownership of it and not turning into a as though you were attacked somehow. Yeah, it's not about you. Stop it. Yeah, it's really not. It's really not. It's really not. (laughs) Oh, man. What has this work taught you about your own life? How has it changed you as a person? I, it's so funny. My therapist told me this. My therapist was like, your whole life is a process group. (laughs) And I was like, thank you so much. I was like, this is such a compliment. Um, It has taught me that I'm okay in my own skin. Um, and that we are never done doing work. Mm. And I feel like when people are like, oh, no, I've achieved the highest level. I'm like, no, you haven't, because we should never be done evolving. So I think that's what it's taught me. And there's I keep reaching new higher levels of who I am and like the work that I do and the people that I meet. And I'm in awe of the things that I get to do and the people I get to like sit down and like mm-hmm. hang out with and like yeah. have brain sex with like ah uh, it's the best yeah yeah it's kind of just amazing yeah that's so beautiful that's so beautiful in our interview for my book you talked about forgiveness mm. and I love what you shared about it being a very individual decision mm-hmm. whether to forgive or not could you speak to that because I feel like there's this idea and a pressure almost for a lot of people to, they say you can't heal, move forward if you don't forgive. Mm-hmm. Again, int- intention. Like when people are like, well, you need to forgive them. Why do I need to forgive them? Is it, am I doing it for me? If you, then yes. If you need to do that to move forward, totally, totally. But if you're doing it so that person can feel better, you don't need to forgive them because they did not care enough about you in that situation to cross your boundaries and do these things to you. Um, I'm not against forgiveness by any means. I think the biggest forgiveness is forgiving yourself and giving yourself permission that you are going to be okay and that what was done to you was out of your control. Mm. Which can be a very difficult thing. Yeah. So that's the forgiveness I want people to work on is like forgiving yourself because you did the best that you could do in that situation. I feel like people who go through eating disorders also ideally will forgive themselves for what they quote did to their Mm -hmm. bodies. I've I've noticed shame in people around that and feeling like I can't believe I remember feeling a lot of guilt over because I was modeling when I was anorexic and at the same time had this drive in me to fight against these rigid ideas of beauty and I was perpetuating them and I just I really struggled with that and I had to really let myself get angry at all the forces that led me into that path Mm -hmm. you know in order to to heal and that was really powerful because I don't think I had felt angry before Mm. is that something that you experienced where did you forgive yourself and your body after some of the the depths of the disordered eating yeah um and I feel like it takes time it takes a lot of time and I want to note like you may not ever get there and that's okay as long as you are continuing to work on yourself. Um, 
I definitely feel like there's still levels and there's still days where I'm just like, this is a hard one. And no matter how far past you are from your eating disorder or disordered eating, like there still are going to be hard days. So I think, again, acknowledging that (laughs) um, is really important. Um, But for me, like I was at the highest weight I'd ever been in recently. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm okay with this. And I was like, oh, wait, I like shocked myself and was like, I have a little booty now. I've never had one of those. Like yeah. I have hips. I didn't get hips until I was damn near 30. Yeah. And so it's like learning to re-love yourself in different ways. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. And I love what you said about allowing the negative feelings because mm-hmm. I feel like anyone who ends up in any sort of addictive behaviors, whether it's an eating disorder or alcohol or anything, that oftentimes we have the biggest feelings and that's beautiful, but we also have trouble letting them flow out, you mm-hmm. know, especially the rough ones. And I found that really allowing myself, and this is a journey for me still, but just going, you know what? I feel this way now. This is who I am. You can use it physically too. Like look in the mirror. This is just what I look like. There it is. There you go. Here we are. So basic, but it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I just needed to give myself permission. Yeah. And when you let yourself feel something, you you process it much quicker and you don't torment yourself over feeling the feeling, which can be a really messy feeling. And- oh, it's scary sometimes. I still struggle with mirrors sometimes. Mm. Like I used to train myself to brush my teeth, touch my hair, get out. And now I'll like stand there sometimes. Like I think doing mirror work, if you're able to, is really important. Just standing in front of the mirror. And it may take you a while to be able to focus your head and just exhale and just take it in. Mm. Oh, that is, it's a thing. Yeah. 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 I felt that when you were saying that I could feel, because mirrors, they... They show you things. Yeah. (laughs) Physically and emotionally, really difficult when you have any sort of insecurities about your body. And I know that when I have felt more depressed or anxious or whatnot, mirrors are much more difficult for me. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you can see the struggle coming out in these physical ways. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's important to, to work through that and to, at your own speed. Like you said, you know, when you feel like you're ready, I feel like it's a good sign when you feel a little butterfly about something, but it doesn't feel debilitating. Right. Mm -hmm. Where you can just sort of step in. Yeah. I think again, listening to your body, is it fear? Are you in danger or are you just feeling a feeling that you need to process? So being able to be like, okay, here's a feeling. What is this? Am I in danger? There's no one here with a weapon to hurt me. Okay. Am I scared? What am I scared about? I often like, people sometimes think I have like resting bitch face, but really I'm just like in my head, like what's going on? What am I feeling? And I'm just looking off and I'm just like so deep within myself. I've gotten to that point. People are like, are you okay? Like what's wrong with you? I'm like, I call that my writer face. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, oh no, I was just thinking about this thing that I'm going to do and then how I'm going to do it and then what I'm going to say. And they're like, oh, that's, oh, that's why your face looks like that. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) That's so funny because I always think of your face as very radiant. I feel like you have a glow about you. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. yeah. And you do these wonderful videos, these live videos where you do, what are they called? <laughs> My Monday Motivations. They're awesome. Yeah. I, someone asked me about that the other day and, 
I started doing them when I started seeing like myself do little things that were hard for me. And so normally whatever I motivate people to do on Monday, it's something that I've just been able to get over. Uh, yeah. Because I'm like, awesome. hey, I can do this. Other people, maybe they need some support in trying to do this thing. And doesn't that strengthen it for you? It becomes a muscle where you feel accountable. Mm-hmm. So you do the hard thing. You share it. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I share with other people, I notice that I commit more strongly to my own self. Mm-hmm. It's, it helps everyone, I think. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like anyone's going to see this. And like for a while, I've like just put stuff out and the people will be like, thank you so much. Like I needed to hear this. And I'd be like, oh, oh, you, someone was looking. Okay. <laughs> think, okay. Yes. So people want to see these videos and also follow you along. What yeah. are your social handles so, and where can we find you? I am Jiminika on all the things. J-I-M-A-N-E-K-I-A. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And then my website is sewjim, S-E-W-J-I-M.com. And people are always like, "Are do you sew? And I'm like, no, it's sex ed with Jim. They're like, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. That's really funny. I, I've never... It never occurred to me that that was, would be about sewing because I guess I just assumed. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. You're like, no, I don't knit and crochet. And so I mean, I would like to. It seems socks. cool. But... It's cool. But you got so many other things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Things to do. <laughs> awesome. Well, what's coming up next for you? Um, I'm working on an ally class that I hope to have done soon. And I want to post it online so people are able to receive this, this gift that I feel like I'm creating. Um, and I'm working on a podcast series. I'm not going to say what it's called yet, but it's coming. And it's going to be for survivors and allies and just different people that need their voices heard. So I'm super excited about that. Um, yeah. And trying to get more into media and consulting and writing and just more one-on-one sessions for supporting f- folks. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone checks out your links and also signs up for your mailing list. And- yes. Follows along so they can find your program, your new podcast, and all that. Thank you so much for being here and for the work you do. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm so pleased to share my chat with Mary Ellen Reeder, co-founder of Yarlap. She runs the company with her father, a medical engineer. They're amazing people. They're so passionate about wellness, and they're experts in the sex tech and pelvic health spaces. We started with a very basic question. What exactly are Kegels? It's an it's a pelvic pelvic floor muscle exercise to help tone and strengthen those muscles that are um, running back and forth on your pubic bone to hold everything up. And a lot of times people read on like the internet that you're supposed to act like you're going to the restroom and then hold it. Um, and there's a lot of actual stuff out there uh, from professionals that are telling you not to do that because it actually can it can hurt you. Um, and a lot of the times when people tell you to do a kegel, um, they will tell you to clench and squeeze. And a lot of times women misunderstand that and they use their rear ends, that they use their abs, because it's so hard for us to isolate those muscles because we can't see them um, because they're inside of us. And um, so it's really tricky to kind of get that kegel perfectly done every single time. Um, but it's it's an exercise used to tone um, and strengthen those muscles so that your um, bladder, your uterus, the visceral organs all stay in position and stay where they're supposed to. I feel like a lot of people learn about them when they already have a problem such as urinary incontinence or something, they're experiencing pain. And of course, that's an incredibly important time. 
but it also seems like it would be an important thing for us to learn preventatively. And also there are pleasure benefits, right? So how do, yes. how do these exercises influence orgasm? So the, so if you kind of like, um, think of your pelvic floor muscles as a hammock, um, the clitoris actually runs alongside of it underneath it. And your clitoris is actually, it's not like a button that you see. It's, it's basically an iceberg. It runs, it's huge. It's massive. And the same muscles that you're using in your pelvic floor exercises, like your kegels, are the same ones that are contracting during orgasm. So the stronger your pelvic floor muscle is and the stronger that response is to that exercise, um, it, you actually have like a stronger um, response to the orgasm because you're, you're toning the same muscles um, that are being used during both of those activities. So would it make orgasm potentially more likely in addition to stronger, it sounds like? Yeah, so it, it mainly it makes it stronger um, because your body is basically doing muscle memory response. So like when, when you're having sex, your body is like, oh my gosh, I know how to do this. I, I've, I've been training to do this. Like, let's show them how to do it. And you have like this, you know, mind-blowing orgasm. I love that. And I love that it's not something that is specific to age, for example. You, it sounds like this could be beneficial at any point in your life. Kind of what's, is there a specific time frame that we might want to consider this? Or is it kind of any time in our life journey? I would say any time in your life journey because the, the weakening of the pelvic floor muscles um, can start in your 20s, which nobody ever told me about. <laughs> And so by the time like you're in your 30s, sometimes um, those pelvic floor muscle exercises are just super, they're impossible to do um, on your own. And you need something like Yarlap to kind of train you and help you out. And, but I would say like anytime, I mean, it doesn't matter what age you are. I mean, we have people at using Yarlap who are like in their 80s and it's amazing. Like we have women coming in who are telling us about their sex lives and they're like in their late 70s and early 80s. And it's the greatest conversation. That's inspiring to me. I, li- I love hearing about people having these sexual discoveries throughout life and that, you know, it can get better and better no matter kind of where you're at. Could you share how Yarlap actually works? If somebody wanted to benefit, w- what happens? Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's like the greatest thing ever. Obviously, I'm biased. But um it's basically a super duper Kegel machine. So we have auto Kegel technology that does the Kegel exercise for you. So it sends a very low signal into your muscle to tell it to move. Um, because a lot of the times when a woman does it, when a woman does it, um, by herself, she'll think, okay, this is how I'm supposed to do it. And either the muscle is too weak, so it doesn't get that signal or the signal kind of gets jumbled or she uses the wrong muscles. And either way, if any of those happen, you're not getting the benefits that you think you're going to get. You're not going to get the toning, you're not going to get the strengthening, you're not going to get um, what you're intending to do. So what the Yarlap does, it goes in there and it sends the signal precisely how it's supposed to be done, work, rest ratio, everything already preset for you, and it does it for you in 20 minutes. So you just like turn it on, uh, put it in like a tampon, and it does the entire workout for you. You 
find the level that feels comfortable for you and then you go about your day and then you take it out after 20 minutes wipe it off and uh, and wait for the next day it's super easy and you're kind of passive learning because it's showing you how to do it it's doing it for you so you're getting the benefit while you're learning and then you're also able to do it on your own as well so it's kind of like a two-for-one how does it feel while it's happening? Do you, do you feel like a tingling sensation or you only just feel your muscles contracting? Yeah. So I always say it feels like a firm handshake in your vagina. Um, it's something like when I first tried it, I couldn't stop laughing because it's something that I had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. I always thought that I was doing, you know, the exercise correctly because, you know, I was like 21 and I can do no wrong, but turns out I've been doing them wrong like forever. And it feels like, it really genuinely feels like a firm handshake in your vagina. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it's it's moving the muscles without you moving it. So it, it kind of has like this strange sensation at the beginning until you get used to it. And it's actually like soothing. I think it's comfortable. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just great. I'm so curious. I completely want to try it even to feel what that is. But then also, like you said, you didn't realize you weren't doing your kegels properly and how do we know until yeah yeah that's really interesting what kind of responses have you gotten from people and kind of why do people come into you in the first place to to try Yarlap or look into this product yeah so we've had really great responses we're really really proud of our um of our you know our our rate of success um we have like, you know, those women who are a little bit older um, coming in to tell us, you know, that they not only treated their bladder leaks, but they're having like these, this mind blowing sexual experience. And they're, it's so fantastic because age really doesn't mean anything, but we have um, all kinds of women coming for different reasons. Either they just had a baby and, you know, it's like six months afterwards and they're still having bladder issues and they use it for us. Um, we have some people who want to use it as a preventative measure because their moms had bladder leaks. Or we have women who um, read, read about, you know, kegels and what they do in bed and all the sexual uh, aspects in that direction. And they want to try them that way. I mean, it's it's amazing how women come to find us. But the overall response has been very positive. And we love hearing from, like, all these women telling us their stories and we always, um, they always start off their story with this might be too much information, but, (laughs) and, and as soon as we hear that, we're like, Oh no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Like we've heard everything. Like we've heard the craziest stories. Um, and it's just really fantastic because they feel comfortable enough to like open up to us. And that's, that's amazing in itself. And I bet they feel really validated knowing that they're not alone because I feel like there could be a lot of shame around this issue, not because it's a shameful thing to struggle, but because of the way that women's sexuality often is considered taboo or it's stigmatized. And so to know there's a product means, oh, I can't be the only one who's seeking support. Yeah, I'm, I, it's, you are so right on that, that a lot of it is about stigma and breaking that because one, you don't, we don't ever talk about it cause it's taboo or like, you know, it's, it's not something that you should talk about at the dinner table. Well, you know, screw that. Um, every, you know, everybody is, 
everybody has at some point in their life know somebody who's going through this. And when we tell them that, you know, they're not alone, a lot of the times people, the first reaction is, oh my gosh, thank you so much for saying that. Because, you know, you, you think you're all by yourself for the longest time, or, you know, you're looking around on the internet and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't fit in any of these boxes. Um, and then all of a sudden somebody tells you, you're not alone, you're fine. Um, and it's a quick fix or it's an easy fix or something like that. And it just, it really, um, makes you feel better. And that's what we're kind of about is just to empower and make sure that you know that you're not alone. Once you start talking about it and you make it more public and you make it more, um, you destigmatize it, it, it makes it more acceptable to talk about. And these people just come out of the woodwork and they're so ready to just talk to anybody about it if anybody would just give them the light of day. And so um, for me, it's just kind of been like finding people like you who are just so open to talking about something to shed light that um, it's kind of been, it's now turned into like work into a now a personal mission to, to talk to every woman and make sure that they know that like their pelvic floor is should be strong. And if it's not, there's so many different ways to fix it and, um, I think that for me, it's now turned into like a personal personal mission to kind of empower women through their pelvic floor. <laughs> it's no longer a job. Totally. I, I relate to the activism piece of that. It's it's really amazing to be able to to do that and to get so excited about something. You go, oh my gosh, you guys, you have to, you got to know about this. It's so, it's it can be life-changing. That's so awesome. So tell people where they can learn more about you. And I know you're also offering an awesome Girl Boner discount. Yeah. Um, so if you want to learn more information, I encourage everybody to go to Yarlap, Y-A-R-L-A-P.com. And um, for the Girl Boner listeners, we're offering a $25 off coupon um, when they put in Girl Boner at checkout. Um, and shipping is, all, is always included So um, with the Yarlap system. So we're really excited. And what's one last piece of advice you would leave everyone listening with? One takeaway or one message, since this is a, a personal mission for you, what's one thing you would think we can't hear enough? Um, I think that the one thing that people can't hear enough is that, can I make this like a, a one thing, like part A for that? I think I would leave off that one, your pelvic floor is so important, not to just sexual wellness, sexual intimacy, but overall, um, and it's so important and you cannot, you should not neglect it. And the second thing is you are not alone in having a little bit of anxiety about things below the belt, but you should always talk to somebody about it. Talk to your doctor, whoever, um, because you aren't alone. And so I think that that's where I would, I think that's what I would leave off with is that your pelvic floor is just so important. So take care of it. Yes, please do take care of it and your girl boner and your whole self. And stay tuned because we have much more to cover on ways to do so in upcoming episodes. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes, your podcast phone app, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. It would be awesome if you would leave a rating and review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful girl boner embracing week. 